Hello and welcome back to Human Nutrition and Lifestyle Podcast, everybody. Today, I've got an exciting guest for you. I've got Boomer Anderson from Amsterdam at the moment. So Boomer, if you can just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background and what you are into today. Matthew, you are a gentleman and a scholar. So thank you for having me here today. It's an absolute pleasure. And I'm really looking forward to having a conversation with you and your audience about so many different topics, because this, this health world has become really a passion of mine. You know, if I were to, I think when one introduces themselves, it's nice to kind of look at how I spend my time. And, you know, right now about 75% of that goes to an organization called Smarter Not Harder Inc., uh, there, we have both a nonprofit called Health Optimization Medicine and Practice and a for-profit, which is why my tongue is blue right now, called Transcriptions. And there I work predominantly on business development and strategy and really run a lot of the business side of things for that company. Uh, the remaining of my time, I have my own health optimization practice uh, that is based largely on the principles of that nonprofit foundation, which I'm also involved in. And I have the Decoding Superhuman podcast, which is something that I, was a little bit of a passion project gone wild. I started it almost three years ago now uh, to just really have smart conversations with smart people about my favorite topic in the world, which is health optimization, and really equating that to performance optimization in the business workplace. And now I'm proud to say that that podcast is a top 250 podcast, according to Apple Podcasts and, um, in the United States, which is great. Uh, but, you know, you asked a little bit about my background and, you know, what's funny is, is a lot of this whole health, uh, health has been a reverberating theme in my life and using health as a tool in performance certainly has. Uh, and that really started at a very young age. I was fortunate enough to grow, grow up the son of a yoga teacher and a, uh, you know, my father was in operations at a mutual fund. And so I had the discipline and the uh, meticulousness from my father. And I had this sort of uh, embracing of health and saw very early on the correlations of things like breathwork and performance. I remember in university, my first year, uh, going into my first calculus exam and my heart racing and you know, speaking to, you know, of course, being a, a grown adult and still calling home to mom, right? Uh, called home to mom and, you know, she gave me this breath work and I'm like, boom, fixed, change of state. And that was uh, one of the early dabbling, not early, but one of the dabblings uh, into health optimization at a very early age. But, uh, you know, immediately after university, I went where most people went in 2008 when graduating, if they were obsessed with performance and being rewarded with performance or for their performance. And I went to Wall Street. I lived in your neck of the woods for a couple of years or a couple of months in 2008, then lived in New York for a couple of years, and then eventually got sent to Singapore, where at the rightful age of 26, I ended up uh, at the head of this financing desk. And, you know, I was at that time really obsessed with the data that comes from health, uh, just because that naturally grabbed me in a good way, like just sat well because I was modeling out uh, various financing situations. And so data was natural to me. And so I initially got into this whole health space through uh, data analytics or what they call uh, quantified self. And I used it for 
things like personalizing my diet. But back then I was really focused on how do I sleep less? How do I work more? And how do I look good naked? Right. Um, which are kind of all selfish, <laughs> egoic drives in many ways. But you can say that over time that evolved into uh, me leaving finance, now pursuing this career, which is almost exclusively focused on health and health optimization and just enjoying what I do on a day to day basis. So, what then along your journey, you obviously said that you were trying to sleep less, work more, do the things that still a lot of people do today, try and get as much work done as possible, perhaps not optimizing your health, like you say. So what along the way made you think, hang on a moment, you know, this is perhaps not the way to go. I really should be thinking about myself, about my lifestyle, about my health. And that could really come across better in my work. If I concentrate on myself, then perhaps my work would benefit from there. Whereabouts along the way did you start thinking, maybe I should dabble a bit and look into this. So I I always had that sort of health angle a little bit because the benefits of working in finance is that I could quite literally calculate my return on health, meaning that whatever I spent on health, I could see where it would add to my bonus. It wasn't a one-for-one correlation, but it was certainly close. Uh, but I was a little bit naive in terms of how I did that. I predominantly thought of health as so many of us do as just diet and exercise. And, you know, you asked a very, very astute question, which is along the way, what were sort of some of the the red flags, if you will. The red flags started quite early. Like I had issues in college with, uh, you know, counselors asking me if I already had burnout and, you know, in college, it was just simply because I was burning the candle at every single end possible. But in, uh, in banking, you know, the first year I had to go home once because of exhaustion. Uh, I went to the doctor and they just said, you need to sleep. Um, I've had, by the way, that's a very common thing in banking among analysts. Like I've had uh, numerous people that I would call friends commit suicide uh, because of general fatigue. And so you kind of see that in other people, but you don't necessarily relate it to yourself, right? And like I I had a friend that I grew up with who after four days of not sleeping, killed himself. And so there's like warning signs there, right? And so I didn't necessarily um, adhere to the warning signs. I continued. I moved to Singapore where I was on a plane two to three times a week, changing time zones at least once a week. And, you know, I'd come to the US five to six times a year. I would come to London. I think there's one year where I went to London 16 times a year. That's from Singapore. Uh, London to Singapore is, I think, an eight-hour time change. And so if you think about that, fundamentally what it does is it just busts our circadian rhythm. And there's this whole uh, field of chronobiology, which is just dedicated to studying those circadian rhythms. And you could see that if you chronically break your circadian rhythm, or in my case, I just didn't have one over the course of six years, that can lead to many disease states. So at 26, I I got sent to the hospital again for exhaustion. Um, I, I thought I was just like nauseous, but it turns out it was exhaustion. 27, I collapsed in the shower. And then at 30, I found out I have a heart condition, right? And it's uh, it was fortunate for me to actually stumble upon this because as I said, I began to get more and more into the data side of health. And this is right around the time when like 23andMe was just sort of on the fringe and you can do some esoteric things with genetics, which may or may not be correct, but at least I was comfortable with data sets and looking at statistics. 
Um, and it felt more personal to me than what men's health was telling me every month. Right. And so I, I began using that. I began getting like these early stage quantified self devices much before we had something like the aura ring, right? Like it was a Fitbit, a jawbone, but like the early edition. So you don't really have much shit in there. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think there's one, and I'm trying to remember, there's one device that I bought and like three months later, the company went bankrupt. Um, and it's, it's, I think it was a Zenzi. And it was like this thing you wear on your head that my girlfriend at the time couldn't freaking like stand but you know those warning signs were always there but the the real tip of the point was when or tip of the iceberg if you will was when um the heart condition came along because i basically modeled my life after not becoming my grandfather who died of a heart attack at a young age and not becoming my dad who was not very in very good shape and he's still he's still alive um but all I did all of this and I still miss something. And when you still miss something, you begin to unpeel the layers of the onion. Well, the first obvious one was like, Hey dude, your circadian rhythm doesn't exist. Like I would, I was dating my now fiance and I would wake up in the middle of the night, stay up for a couple of hours, go back to bed, that kind of thing. And that reverberated for a while. So first thing when I left banking was to focus on sleep um, then it became apparent that sleep for me was really a function of stress and being able to manage anxiety because I was always, until very recently, I was always a very forward looking person. I was never really in the moment. It was just more of a, okay, what's the next goal? What's the next OKR? Whatever tool you want to use in order to get to that next milestone. But the problem is, is that when you build your life upon milestones, sometimes you never really enjoy the journey of getting there. And so I had this beautiful life up until, I mean, I still have a beautiful life. I'm not saying it's changed much, but uh, you know, I'm very fortunate that I've been over 63 countries in this world. And there's a handful of those that were business trips where I can honestly say I went to a new country and don't remember much of it. And so it's those little moments like that where, uh, you know, you kind of look at it as sort of red flags and say like, hey, I could go down this path still. And it was a very lucrative path, right, for everything that you know, current society values, things like monetary goals, whatever. It was a very, very lucrative path. Or I could turn to this less certain road, which is what I did, and, you know, work on these things that were affecting me and see if I can do something different. And so that's, that's the road I'm on at this moment. So in a way, you kind of fast-tracked your life, if you like, because a lot of people I know nowadays are doing similar kind of things to yourself, working hard, playing hard like that, but perhaps not to the extent that you was doing. In a way, you kind of fast-tracked everybody's life at the moment and you managed to make it there at 30 years old. You know, you managed to get all the problems in your life. You was disrupting your circadian rhythm and you was finding that you were struggling to sleep and you was coming down with a heart problem, heart disease, like you say. And perhaps, um, I think I read somewhere that he was bordering on diabetes as well because of it. Uh, no diabetes. I, I've always been fortunate on that side of things. Like I, I've, 
and we, we haven't gotten into nutrition, but I've been basically following, like I was on the Atkins diet at the age of 12. <laughs> and since then I've been basically low carb, high fat uh, on and off for most of my life. So no real diabetic issues, but uh, certainly have the cardiovascular issues, which are all predominantly a function of stress. So so when you started to look at your life then and started to think, okay, I need to perhaps change a few things up here to make sure that I'm living a better lifestyle, then what were the things, um, like you say, like nutrition that you started to look at, look into, and perhaps thinking, maybe I can refine this a little bit. Maybe I can make sure that I'm getting the correct nutrition because you're a, a guy who looks at the data and things like that, looking at particular foods to say, all right, maybe I need more of these particular foods in my diet than those particular foods to help support my lifestyle. Yeah. So uh, again, really astute question here. And I think it's worthwhile if it's okay with you, Matthew, that I just want to take people through a little bit of the framework that I use because um one of the things that I want people to get away from this is that you don't necessarily have to follow a lot of these gurus out there, right? You don't necessarily have to, um, you don't have to believe everything that comes out in men's health or the Huffington post or choose your publication, uh, the times, whatever it is. Um, what you can do is you can start to personalize this yourself. And that's largely what my journey was from sort of 30 to this day was how to get more personal. And until last year, I was just sort of looking at data and I was getting really good at interpreting the data and all that stuff, but I didn't have this great framework. And then I met my mentor, uh, Dr. Ted Achacoso. And Dr. Ted, uh, I interviewed him on my podcast. We got along so well that he asked me to join his foundation, Health Optimization Medicine Practice, and I headed up in Europe. And what the reason why I bring this up is because within health optimization medicine and practice, we have a very eloquent framework by which to look all, at all of this, by which to individualize this. But let's start with basic principles first, because I think there's a few things, particularly as it relates to nutrition, that people can get started on without really spending any money. Uh, for a lot of us, we know what our ancestry is. Uh, you know, Matthew, I'm not sure if you're entirely British or if you have some other parts of Europe inside your ancestry. But for me, uh, my ancestry is a little bit of a mutt, if you will, of Europe, typical American, right? Like I've got this sort of melting pot of uh, Poland, Czechoslovakia, and all of these other different sort of, and a little bit of Irish in there, not quite sure how that snuck in, some Dutch, not very much, but it, French even. And you kind of look at your ancestry and you say, okay, what did my great, great grandmother probably cook with when it comes to fats? And if I look at the Polish side, it's probably tallow. Uh, if I look at the Czech side, could also be tallow, likely butter. And, you know, you can start to get a sense of where you're potentially going to tolerate these fat, like what types of dietary fats um, are you going to tolerate? Notice I didn't say rapeseed oil, right? I didn't say canola oil. I didn't say any sort of vegetable oil. Those are largely products of, uh, of modernity really. And so what I encourage everybody to kind of look at their 
diet is from an evolutionary perspective, does this make sense? Uh, there's a lot of, I remember when I lived in Singapore, there was a lot of advertisement about this diet called the Katavan diet. And the Katavan diet is uh, based on the island of Katava off of Papua New Guinea. And it essentially is filled with coconut cream and sweet potatoes. And what they said was, this is a very common thing among the blue zone diets, by the way, is that you can follow a Katavan diet and you're not going to get heart disease. Well, that's great because nobody on Catawba has heart disease. And it's like, yeah, that's great. But if I eat a ton of sweet potato, if I eat coconut cream, that may put me at risk for something else like diabetes, which you alluded to earlier. Um, and so uh, taking that ancestral and evolutionary perspective, just as sort of the lens in looking at an evolutionary lens makes, makes sense. So let's now take it a little bit further down into the data components of this. Every six months, I'm measuring my metabolome, I'm measuring my, uh, my gut microbiome, and I'm measuring my food sensitivities. And so let's break down the metabolome first. Um, we've all probably at this point been bombarded with advertisements from either DNA Fit or in the UK or 23andMe or Ancestry, et cetera, with just sort of this idea of genetics. And think of genetics as really the blueprint for what makes you. You have a code that runs throughout you. Um, and if you're a computer scientist, you can imagine what this code looks like. But for the rest of us, it's just sort of ATGC. And you know that code, uh, really tells your body how it should be running. It tells you what your phenotypical expression should be. We then have the impacts of the environment on us. Like I said, ancestrally, I'm a mutt of Europe. I live in Amsterdam, which is uh, very few of my ancestors, at least what I've traced, have ever even touched this place. And I grew up in the United States. So there's that sort of evolutionary mismatch. My genes have to adjust. And that sort of adjustment is called epigenetics. We influence uh, essentially the creation of proteins uh, from our epigenome. And so you then go epigenetics, transcriptomics, proteomics, which is the protein folding itself. And then you eventually get down into something called metabolomics. And metabolomics has been around since I believe the 1980s. And they've done, like Linus Pauling has done studies on this, but there's a metabolomics database in Canada. And essentially what we're looking at is cellular level health, both today and within recent past. And so there I'm able to measure the sort of micronutrients that I need to really optimize cellular level health. Because if I boil it down to its simplest components and the most finite components that we're able to measure today, it is cellular level health. And so I'm able to look at my cells and say, what micronutrients do I need? Do I need B vitamins? Do I need manganese to help uh, the cofactors in production of energy? Do I have heavy metals blocking myself from producing uh, that highest level of energy possible? And so by identifying these, I can get really radically personal with what supplementation I need, but also what kind of foods come into my diet. You often see uh, the case in people who uh, refuse to eat red meat and they're stressed. Well, they may have a B vitamin deficiency. Well, if you're able to eat red meat, you can get B vitamins, but you could also switch that out for a supplement. It depends on what your lifestyle is. Um, and that's the metabolome. Now, 
I then take one step further and go into the gut microbiome. And there, what I'm looking for, and this actually happened well over a year ago now, but uh, I went on a trip uh, to Argentina, was hiking Patagonia, which is one of the most beautiful places on this planet, um, at least in my opinion. And I contracted a parasite. I could identify that by really testing my microbiome. And so I do a three-day stool test. I assess for the presence of parasites and pathogenic bacteria, but I also look for something called dysbiosis, which is just a bacterial imbalance in my gut. And by knowing that information, I could correct it with something like a probiotic or prebiotic foods. Uh, then we take things one step further and go into food sensitivities. And you can see, so food sensitivities measure low-grade inflammation within the body. And uh, low-grade inflammation can come from certain types of foods. Like for me, I'm particularly sensitive or was sensitive to almonds. Uh, almonds, not surprising there because I, eat, I used to eat them every day. Uh, eggs, I was also sensitive there. And that makes sense because, well, I ate egg, five eggs a day for five years. You can tell there's a past of really just taking things to the extreme. Um, and by knowing these pieces of information, I can really custom on my diet. So like I said before, I, I, I knew from a very young age that just low carb, high fat, uh, probably closer to a modified Atkins with Mediterranean theme. So lots and lots of vegetables and olive oil and olives worked really, really well for me from just sort of a general body composition perspective. And I do think looking at it from an ancestral evolutionary perspective will help a lot of people. But then you could take it to this sort of next level where you're able to identify exactly what you need through this, this process of testing, which has largely become known as the omics. But this is what we're, this framework is perfect for your biohacker, for your health optimizer. It's really perfect for anybody. Um, it does cost a little bit of money, of course, because you got to do the testing, but I encourage people to look at it more as an investment, but also if you're going to go out and spend money on supplements anyway, wouldn't it be nice to know exactly what you need rather than just to buy whatever, who the hell ever you heard uh, recommends it. And so that's, that's my approach at this moment. And so I get very, very individual with myself, my clients, my family members, et cetera. That's great. I'm really pleased you put it like that because at the moment, what I'm trying to highlight with everybody is individuality. There's so many people that come to me and say, oh, I'm following the keto diet or I've heard you're the low carb guy. or I've heard, you know, you want to get me on the carnivore diet, things like that. And I say, you know, perhaps them kind of diets are good for a reset if there's something you're battling. But we really need to focus on the individual, on you, what you need. Like you say, all your history, where you come from. A lot of people nowadays are similar to you and myself included have got a mixture of Northern European ancestry in there as well. Lots of people aren't just of one ethnic minority nowadays because of the globe that we live in. Everybody's a, a mix of all different kind of things. And yes, like you say, like the Catavans, you know, their ancestry supports their nutrition. So something yeah. that will work with them is because it's been in their DNA for so long, you know, they're, they're get, being able to get all the micronutrients and things from their food they need that supports their bodies. But somebody else on the other side of the world, like ourselves, totally different, you know, we need something else. 
And I really promote all the micronutrients in foods. I try and tell um, everybody it's all about the nutrient density in foods. The more nutrient dense foods you can consume, then you, you, you've got more of the ability to take from them foods what your body needs. And I love the way you dive really deep into it there and you say, look, you personally, you could be lacking in the B vitamins, let's say, or there's another person that could be lacking in the, the C vitamins or the A vitamins. So if you try and focus your nutrition around these particular foods that have all of these kind of vitamins in there, then mm -hmm. perhaps you don't need to supplement as much. Or if yeah. you are supplementing as much, then make sure you supplement in with the right ones that your body needs. And the only way to do that, like you say, is to find out, is to go out there to get the test, find out what your body needs. But digging a little bit deeper then into the microbiome, because I've spoken to uh, a couple of people on, on the microbiome, and they say that it's very, very difficult to have a healthy microbiome because we don't know actually what a healthy microbiome is. Again, yeah. it, it could be, again, that it's just personalized to each individual person. So there's no such thing really as a healthy microbiome. But I've searched, mm -hmm. uh, I've researched things like um, dairy, for one. And dairy is quite big with some people will tolerate it, some people won't tolerate it. Mm -hmm. um, but can we actually, as a whole, as if we're talking to everybody as a whole, can we have particular things in our nutrition that can help have a healthy microbiome and can we eliminate some things that potentially hinder our microbiome as well yeah so let's um we're gonna dig deep into that and before i i go into a little bit about the microbiome and just sort of kind of best practices if you will um what i want to do is uh, let's talk just a part about that nutrient dense food because i think it's worth highlighting uh, depending on where you are in the world it can be very difficult to get quote unquote nutrient dense food. And even if you are in a place that has pretty good agriculture um, and has really good farming practices, the chances of you being able to get everything that you need from food, especially when we're talking about these evolutionary mismatches is relatively low. And so I just want people to understand that the best way to really know if you're able to be to pull that off is through testing um, because otherwise you can do things on gut feel and I know there's a lot of people that like to intuitively feel these out but that can be dangerous and I speak from that of personal experience you know when I was in my 20s I thought everything was a-okay but I was living in Singapore, I was traveling all around the world, I was eating a largely paleolithic diet. And, you know, it turns out that there was a few things missing. So I would just encourage people to go take it a step further and test because you're spending money on food regardless. And so wouldn't it be nice to know what foods you need? And, and if anything, testing makes the world simpler. And in a day and age when we're all prone to distraction and being involved in way too many things, it's pretty nice to just know that, okay, this is what I need when it comes to my food. Now let's take it a step further into your question about the microbiome and just sort of best practices. And I, I guess this could just be like best practices from a nutritional perspective. Um, it's, you know, there's a tendency here to, to go down the path of don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And so let me try and paint the positive picture first before, uh, before going down um, that path. 
if you're going to look at something to optimize a microbiome, I would first start with a basic principle of eat real food. What do I mean by that? <laughs> if the ingredients are on the list and you can't pronounce them, chances are it's probably not right for you. And so you can look at that as sort of meat, fish, vegetables, fruits. And, and I'm not I'm not judging here if you're vegan or carnivore or whatever. I'm just giving basic principles. Meat, fish, vegetables, fruits is probably a good basis to start. Some good healthy fats uh, for certain people. Butter may not be among one of those, but some good healthy fats, meaning grass-fed butter, grass-fed ghee, uh, looking at olive oil, avocado oil, if you are... Of or if you are so inclined, trying out things like macadamia nut oil, etc. Um, so good, healthy fats as a base. Now, uh, looking at just sort of then taking that framework, and depending on how you want to push the body composition element of it, it may be suitable for you to cut down on things like fruit uh, to a certain extent. There are higher sugar fruits like bananas apricots, certainly when they're dried, etc. And then there are lower sugar fruits, things like uh, blueberries, for instance. Uh, but getting a wide diversity of these foods in different colors appears to be very helpful to a uh, what we're calling sort of a balanced microbiome, or for another word, uh, another term, just sort of the non-dysbiosis state. <laughs> um, and, and so that, that appears to, to work well. Uh, behavior practices uh, also come into play here. So when you eat, eat. Try not to do anything else. Try not to multitask. And trust me, this is hard even for me to just not be reading news, to not be checking out what's going on in world economies, et cetera. It's, those are really bad habits that I built in my 20s where I was working while eating. Chew your food you know, actually chew your food. And I think there's, and I don't recall the total number that Charles Poliquin said uh, when chewing your food, but it was north of, I think, 15 times before swallowing. And uh, talk, like, talk to, or just watch somebody eat and the next time you eat and see if they even make it to 10, right? And so chewing your food certainly uh, is useful. Getting a diet rich in fiber, I hinted at that in terms of uh, vegetables. And that looks to be pretty useful for the broad range of people. Um, now I can go down sort of the elimination path. And I'm sure, actually, let me just touch on one other behavior, which is coming to get studied quite well. And it's the idea of time-restricted eating. Uh, this could be very helpful, particularly in this sort of world that we live in now when we're in lockdown and we're all about two meters away from our refrigerator. Uh, and so time-restricted feeding, what I mean here is not necessarily intermittent fasting. For certain people, intermittent fasting works well. What I mean is giving yourself eating windows and sort of saying, I'm going to eat, like for instance, my eating windows are uh, between 11 and 12 every day. So we're kind of right smack in the middle of my eating window right now. Um, between 3 and 4 p.m. And then I have my last meal uh, about 
between six and seven. And I give myself a little bit of flexibility around that. And that definitely helps with blood glucose. It helps with my energy levels and I can kind of manage those things uh, according to that. Now let's go down the list of like the elimination list. And I'm the type of person who loves an elimination list because elimination lists make my life simpler. The danger in going with an elimination list first is that people start to look at their life and say like, oh my God, this is so boring. I can't have fried chicken. I can't have blah, 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 donuts, whatever it is. Um, and the elimination list certainly helps, uh, helps me just think simply. And so uh, basic principles, right? Uh, here, dairy appears to be an issue for about 65% of the world's population. Uh, my fiance is Korean most uh, Asian ancestry is kind of lactose intolerant. I know I'm lactose intolerant, so I take that out. Uh, bread, the functional purpose there is questionable. Do you need it? So you can throw it out. And there are people that do have sort of non-celiac gluten sensitivities and bloating as a result of eating bread. Fried food, probably not a great idea. A lot of that has to do with some of the oils that are it's getting cooked in. Uh, a lot of it is just in sort of the general preparation, uh, but also fried food with a lot of people, they can overeat. And so I would avoid things like that. Um, let me see. I know there's a number of, of things I'm forgetting off the top of my head here. Uh, sugar and refined sugar appears to be unnecessary. I know there's a few people within the health world who are making the argument for a return on sugar. Uh, but in a world where a lot of people are overweight in the Netherlands, I think it's something like 55% of the population is overweight. I think in the UK, it's slightly higher. Um, and then the US, it's closer to 65 or 70. And so in a world where people are overweight, it's helpful to kind of reduce added sugar in particular. And if you follow those basic principles that I outlined at the beginning, you're reducing added sugar already um, completely. And so uh, those are some of the things that I would start on. And I'm just trying to think of what I forgot because I'm sure I forgot something. Well, I just, I just try and simplify a little bit more for anybody who's beginning down the road. And I try and just simplify it with a heading of processed and refined foods. Anything that you feel is processed, anything that you feel is refined, um, then don't go for it. Go for what you said earlier about your real food. If, you, if your grandma and your granddad could recognize it as a real food, something you could get there straight away, hold in your hand and eat, then that's where you need to be looking at. If you yeah. get something in a packet and you look at the back of the packet, it's got a list full of ingredients, then generally it's not a real food or it's a food that's been tampered with. It's a food that's been processed and refined. It's not something that's generally going to be great for you. And you mentioned it a little bit earlier on about all those processed oils. A lot of those processed oils now, like rapeseed oil, canola oil, same thing, but different names in, in yeah. we, we call and it different. Rapeseed. Yeah. Yeah. And different. Yeah. We have a slightly better name for it in the United States. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of things now are being stuck under the term vegetable oil and yeah. vegetable oil can mean soybean oil, can mean anything really, any sort of seed oil that's just been refined and processed and rammed into this food. And it is not 
conducive to humans. Humans just just should not be consuming this sort of thing. It doesn't do anything for us. And it mm -hmm. tends tends to be more in the processed and, and refined food. So I'd just like to simplify it like that. I mean, a lot yeah. of people, like you say, say, oh, but don't eat sugar, don't eat carbohydrates. There's a lot of wars out there at the moment between fruit and veg and meat. You know, do we need do we need to be eating meat or do we need fruit and veg? A lot of bioavailability arguments as well between those particular foods. But yeah. I think that I think those things are just nitpicking that little bit. And like you said, and like I always say, be careful not to slip into a camp. Be careful not to go down the road of this is this is the diet that works for this person. So it's the diet that must work for me. You need to find it out yourself. But if you are eating real food, then I believe you're on the right track anyway. I just want to touch on um, you said about your eating window. And the reason yeah. I want to tell people why eating windows are a lot better than intermittent fasting is because intermittent fasting has become popular just of late, like a, let's say a 16-8. And what people kind of interpret that to, a lot of beginners interpret 16-8 to, is it means I'm not eating for 16 hours, but then I've got eight hours to eat. Yeah, I can so, eat all so, the shit I want for eight <laughs> exactly. hours, right? That's it, right, it, yeah. look, I, When I first started this, what, 10 years ago, intermittent fasting, that's what I did. I was like, you follow 16-8, and there was a certain personality promoting it at the time and i was like okay that's great i can eat whatever the hell i want for eight hours uh, it doesn't really work like that right and you can actually see this in certain uh, there's if you look at religions of the world historically the, a lot of them have fasting periods and there's uh you know when they break their fast there's this binge eating and if you don't control that binge eating, those fasting periods can ultimately lead to weight gain. And so, you know, I, I look at intermittent fasting as this tool. I don't do it necessarily every day, but it does help my focus. It also helps the health of my mitochondria, right? And whether it's 18.6 or 16.8, you know, I can use it to strategically help myself out. But, uh, you know, if you're going to go down that path, you could still have eating windows. Like I still have eating windows within a 16-8 period. Uh, I still have eating windows, even if I'm doing 18-6. Uh, and now, like I've talked to Dom D'Agostino about this significantly. If you start going up to like 24 or um, something where you have a one-hour eating window, it's probably best to just get the calories because you may end up in a calorie deficit in that case for a significant period of time, which may lead to this sort of binge behavior, um, which doesn't necessarily uh, lead to a conducive positive outcome long term. Yeah, whilst longer fasts can be productive, you know, they can help sometimes if you bring them in, let's say, on a quarterly period throughout the year or something like that. But you have yeah. to be careful, like you say, not to go too far when you come out of that fast. Make sure you go straight back into your normal diet if that's intermittent fasting or whatever it is. Then you've got to be careful not to binge. And I was more referring just to like the fasting practice in general for me. Uh, like it, the question is, is, is fasting right for everybody? Maybe, but maybe not right now in certain cases, because uh, you have to develop a certain behavior. And that's why when I work with people, I usually go the time restricted feeding elements, give you some feeding windows first. And then if you want to try some fasting, we can, but I want to make sure that you don't all of a sudden have this spike in need for glucose at the end, which is just going to offset all the work we're doing.
Yeah, that's great. I'm pleased you said that. There's definitely a timeline about it. Don't just think, oh, well, I'm going to go straight into fasting. You know, like we said earlier, refine your diet, refine your nutrition, get eating those real foods and then take it step by step, get into intermittent fasting if you want, get into eating windows. And then if you want to push it further, you can. So there's definitely a, a timeline uh, across the board there. And what, what I wanted to talk to you about a little bit was the mental side of it, because obviously yeah. you're working hard your brain's working hard a lot of people suffer from mental fatigue a lot of the time um what can they do in their lifestyle to help with this mental fatigue and to help their brain function better on a daily basis whether that be nutrition or lifestyle change sleep what are your thoughts on that oh god there's Matthew, I'm really glad you asked that question because I actually think that the mental side is the part that most people ignore um, until they have, they're faced with, I need to tackle this mental incident or whatever, right? And the mental side can actually make the physical uh, more difficult in certain cases. So following a particular meal regimen or nutrition plan or um, following or adhering to a certain path. And so basic principles, right? Um, because again, I just want to lay out the basics and then we can kind of go as you wish down whichever wormhole. Um, so, you know, uh, one way to look at this is uh, just, okay, sleep. Most of the population needs to get seven to eight hours of sleep per night. Now I work in my health optimization practice with entrepreneurs, which most of them come to me initially with issues with sleep, stress, or nutrition. And when it comes to sleep, it's usually sub six hours. If I tell somebody who's getting four hours of sleep to get eight hours of sleep per night, they're going to turn around and say, screw you, boomer, I'm leaving. And so just make the improvement in 15 minute increments. And eventually uh, the good thing is about all of this is that health success becomes addictive. You get addicted to the feeling of health. And so what happens is, is you eventually go from four to 4.15 to 4.30 and all of a sudden you're getting five and you're like, wow, everything is working better. And fundamentally we know through things like the glymphatic system, which is how our brain clears out toxins that you need sleep. And so reframing sleep as the investment is where I would start for most people. Uh, then the other kind of predominant mental state and that will kind of set up your mental state for the day by the way and there's some certain there's some things that you can do with nutrition to help anchor that sleep period um, like having a heavy protein meal um, with some other foods you know three hours before bedtime will help anchor that sort of sympathetic or parasympathetic state going into sleep but uh, going then into kind of like the stress area of, of life, because if I can anchor your sleep, chances are you're going to have a better perception of stress. But let's say stress is the thing that's feeding the sleep issue. Uh, basic principles. If you're not willing to start with meditation, then let's start with a gratitude practice. Just taking out a pen and paper and writing down three things you're grateful for every day. A simple way to do this so that it doesn't become automatic and repetitive is to um, look at that those three things and say, I'm a grateful for this person in this relationship in my life. I'm grateful for this thing in front of me right now. Uh, and I'm grateful for this opportunity today. So if I were to do this just physically today, Matthew, I'd say like, I'm grateful for the opportunity to speak with you. And 
okay, you have your gratitude practice. And that for me, when I was looking to work on my mental game back when I was in finance, that was profound in the sense that I no longer viewed everything as uh, against me and adversity, if you will. The next thing uh, that I would look at in terms of a mental practice is, is definitely getting into meditation. Now, when I was younger, and I saw my mom doing this shit where she was sitting in the, the room, still breathing. And I was wondering what the hell was going on. Like, has my mom gone nuts? And this was very much, this is only what, 25 years ago? And meditation was very woo. Uh, now there's a lot of studies behind it. It's almost become ubiquitous in the tools of performance that people should meditate. And if you can, there's plenty of support for this out there, right? Uh, plenty of research that suggests that meditation will help with the mental game. Um, and I'm going to get to my favorite benefit of meditation here in a second. But there's numerous tools. And for all of these, look, we're providing strategies, um, we're providing tactics, but I also want to provide you tools. And so the tools from less nerdy to nerdy, uh, Calm as a meditation app is a great way to get started. Just getting a guided meditation. You can get these on YouTube too. Headspace is good. And, you know, Andy Puticombe, I believe is from Britain. So, you know, if you want to wave the flag, that's a good way to go. Um, and if you want to go a little bit more nerdy and enjoy the neuroscience side of things, uh, as well as sort of the explorations and spiritual philosophy. I like Sam Harris's waking up, waking up app. And that's one of the ones that I use daily now. Um, and so getting in a meditation practice, what's the benefit? So, because you gotta know what's in it for you, right? Uh, so meditation for me initially, I actually started with the Led Zeppelin song stairway to heaven because back then I didn't have headspace. And then I eventually got into transcendental meditation. Now I've come kind of come back, but, um, meditation, the, the beauty of it for me is this power of pausing. Uh, so rather than me just reacting, something comes in, it hits me in a wrong way. And I just get extremely upset. And this used to happen on the trading floor a lot. And then it became, okay, it comes, it hits me. I can pause for this very brief moment, see the event for what it is, and then choose my reaction. And if you think about that, that's probably saved my relationship multiple times. It's probably saved uh, my career several times. It's probably saved many friendships that I've had because of that ability to pause. The other thing that does is it allows me to stand up above the battlefield of life, if you will, and be the general of my day. So if I meditate first thing in the morning, uh, that will really help get me uh, really anchored for that day and focused. So, you know, meditation is, is very, very helpful on numerous fronts. Uh, another thing that I think is a, a good behavior uh, to anchor for the mental game is sun. And this actually dovetails quite brief, uh, quite well with that first one, which is sleep. Now I live in Amsterdam and Amsterdam gets about 67 days of sunlight in, the, uh, in a year, which is one of the lowest in the globe. Uh, just by contrast, Denver, a city in Colorado gets 300. Um, and you know, London's actually slightly higher than Amsterdam. Uh, the UK is actually slightly higher than Amsterdam just because by nature, I think it has something to do with the North Sea. But anyways, uh, getting 20 minutes of sun a day 
is great. If you can't do it, there's other ways you can. Um, you can use some of these lights to help synchronize your circadian rhythm. There's these alarm clocks like the Lumi uh, that help you wake up in the morning. Um, I actually built a vitamin D lamp for the winter and using uh, UVB lights and some quite nifty photography stuff. Uh, built my own vitamin D lamp, but there's a company out there called Sperty that makes a vitamin D lamp, which is approved by the FDA uh, to help creep your, keep your vitamin D levels up, uh, which will feed back into both brain health, but also help with uh, your sleep and circadian rhythms. Um, and then, you know, on the mental side of the game, I'm just trying to think, uh, the other things that I would add are routines. You know, routines, will help frame your day. And so uh, getting a morning routine and perhaps equally, if not more important, the evening routine down is incredibly useful because what you're doing there is priming your body. And you know, Tim Ferriss, who I, I don't necessarily agree with everything he says, but he's interviewed a lot of very, very successful people. And there's something like 80% of them have a morning routine and the vast majority of them do meditate as well. But having a morning routine is useful. Having that evening routine for me uh, is absolutely key. And so, you know, for me reading a book um, every day before bed is kind of helping me slip into that, that evening mode, if you will. Um, some other good things that are good mental uh, game strategies, looking at what perturbs you, looking at what stresses you, and either trying to reframe it, fix it, outsource it, whatever it is. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, the computer, for me, I spend a lot of time on the computer. Uh, yes, there's blue light that I need to worry about, and that will affect my circadian rhythm, but there's also um, many sources of potential stress in that. And so if you're the type of person who gets upset by news, I'm not, but if you're the type of person that gets upset by news, um, take your news and put it earlier in your day because then it won't affect your sleep as much. If you're the type of person who gets upset by email, either outsource it or stop checking your email in the evening. That's a very hard thing to do, especially if you're somebody who worked in finance and you have to check your email in the evening all the time. It's, it's a very, very hard thing to do. And so look at those things that I call landmines uh, out there and see what you can do to either avoid them, reframe them, or outsource them. Uh, those, are, those are very, very helpful when it comes to the mental side of things. I'm sure I can come up with a number of other ones. That's uh, great. That's then. great. That's a, a brilliant spectrum of things there. And mm -hmm. it's the reason why I called my podcast and the, the things I'm doing, I call them human nutrition and lifestyle because they go together uh, really, really well. You have to have them all clicking in together. It's no good saying, right, I'm going to follow this particular nutrition. If your lifestyle is not ready for it, if you can't manage your life around what you're doing, yeah. then one particular thing is not going to work. They all have to click in together. Like you say, sleep, very, very important is your sleep. And a lot of people, I've spoken to some people recently who have said, look, I've never been able to get more than five or six hours sleep. My body just won't allow it. And I really like the way that you say 
just add 15 minutes, just add 30 minutes, because a lot of people out there will, will say, well, I know I can't get five hours sleep, so what I'll do is I'll go to bed three hours earlier and try that. Well, it's never going to work. It's not how you've been telling your body to do it all those years you've been doing it. So yeah. just little increments, it's the same with anything across the board. And um, like a lot of uh, people I work with exercise as well, they all know little increments add up to something at the end. So make sure you do that in the rest of your life as well, like your sleep and your meditation. Yeah. Like you said, with your meditation, there's lots of things out there for breathing techniques and that. Now, you're not going to go out and you're not going to be Wim Hof on your first go. So just take it slowly, take little things at a time. The first thing I ever learned was when you're in a heated debate, let's say, or when somebody's trying to, to rally you up, when somebody's really getting at you, whether it be work or friend or, or family, whatever it is, just take those few seconds, like you say, just count in your head, just count one, two, three, you know, just take those little few seconds just to absorb what's going on rather than reacting, shooting off the gun straight away. And that is basically meditation. You are starting down the road to meditating just to calm yourself down. And then you can take it a little bit further, like you said, um, along the road and, and do all your other different techniques. So mm -hmm. I'm really pleased you highlighted those because they're so, some people um, say, you know, think of them as woo, you know, so, oh yeah, that's, that's meditation. You know, that's for other people. That's not for me. You know, oh yeah, I've always managed on this sort of sleep. That's not for me, but really everybody listening needs to take hold of these things. If you've listened to me about nutrition in the past and thought, maybe I've spoken some good things. And, and we've said today about the nutrient density and finding out which vitamins you're lacking. You also need to think about these other things, your sleep and your breath control and the rest of your life, manage it as a whole. So I'm really, really pleased you, you highlighted that. And that's great. You just put it all in that one big summary there for you. But yeah, I think uh, just before we go on to your next question, Matthew, for those out there that are listening and saying this is woo, I am a person who I'm willing to experiment with woo, but everything I've just said is very much not woo. It's very much grounded in science. You can go into PubMed, plug in meditation. There's hundreds, if not thousands of studies. You can look at the field of chronobiology, which is not just the sleep-wake cycle. It's looking at biological rhythms throughout our body. That's routines. Uh, we didn't even touch on exercise, but there's numerous studies that talk about the epigenetic effects of exercise. Drop the woo comment, just take action. And the way you take action is through microhabit change, which is what we're talking about with those 15 minute increments. Yeah, brilliant, great summary. So the, the one thing I wanted to talk to you about, which is kind of out of my wheelhouse a little bit, but I was hoping you could maybe enlighten me on this, sure. is um, why you have this blue tongue today. I know you spoke <laughs> a bit about caffeine before and caffeine being a, a stimulant, stimulant and, and sometimes caffeine's not the best. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that, but what's this blue tongue? Is it blue carnitine that you're into now? It, it is, it is. And so... Um... Uh, a company which I'm very, very fond of, a part of, and helping to build is called Triscriptions. And like I mentioned before, uh, the parent company of Triscriptions is something called Smarter Not Harder Inc., which kind of gives you a hint as to how we do things um, and goes back to that whole uh, phrase that if you work, if you say, if you think you need to work hard your entire life, you're going to. Uh, I tend to think I want to work smart my entire life. And so I, I would like to. Uh, transcriptions is, uh, we call ourselves, uh, well, 
essentially were precision dosed pharmaceutical grade physician formulated. It was started by, again, my mentor, Dr. Ted Achikoso, and uh, I got involved more on the business side of things, but certainly participate in all the experimentation and formulation. Uh, our first product was launched around this time, actually it was February 20th, so not too far from this time, uh, last year. And it was called blue canatine. And so blue canatine consists of uh, caffeine, which I'll come back to here in a second, uh, methylene blue, nicotine, and hemp crystals. Uh, so caffeine is in, I'll go through the ingredients and I'll talk about the effects afterwards. So caffeine is probably the world's most used nootropic in the sense that it promotes alertness. It prevents us from going to sleep by blocking our adenosine receptors. And you're right, for certain people, they can be caffeine sensitive. I myself am caffeine sensitive, which is why I'll have one cup a day max uh, of caffeinated coffee. I certainly love the taste of coffee. And so I'll switch to decaf afterwards, which is not completely decaf, but it's certainly got a reduced amount of caffeine. And then I maybe use blue canatine. Uh, and blue canatine has less uh, caffeine in it than a double espresso. And so I'll only take a half a trochee. So I'm even getting less than, uh, than it's 50 milligrams of caffeine, which is, uh, you know, if you do it by comparison, it's 80 milligrams of caffeine for a double espresso and I'm taking half. So I'm only getting 20 milligrams, 25 milligrams of caffeine. It also has something called methylene blue in it. And so methylene blue, uh, was the first drug, uh, approved by the FDA. And it's been used in everything as a dye in genes, uh, but also as a, a treatment for malaria. It's an antiviral, it's an antifungal. It's been studied for other coronaviruses. It's being studied uh, right now for the, the current one. And it's in a stage one trial. I can send you the article if you need it. Um, and then it's also uh, being used uh, for the treatment of methylglomemia, which is the hardest thing to pronounce in the world, uh, and helps oxygenate your cells. From a nootropic perspective, why do we care? Well, it promotes the production of ATP or your body's energy currency. It helps oxygenation in the body. And uh, it certainly pr promotes, uh, well, energy as a result of ATP. Uh, it's also good for spatial and non-spatial memory, so all forms of memory, and you can take a lot of it and still have positive effects. Now, uh, the third ingredient is probably the most controversial, which is nicotine. And nicotine is made famous by the cigarette companies out there. And uh, what I can say about nicotine is yes, it is addictive, but that addiction rate usually starts at around five milligrams of nicotine per day. Uh, we keep you at less than five milligrams. So that's, we have one milligram of nicotine in each of our trochees, and we keep you to four trochees a day. And so we're avoiding all of those addiction tendencies. But what is very interesting about nicotine is it brings you up when you're down, it brings you down when you're up. It helps with things like ver verbal fluency, which is why I'm taking it on this podcast. Um, but it also uh, promotes just sort of general improvements to memory and focus, et cetera. And then the last thing is hemp crystals. You can think of that as cannabidiol or CBD. And that helps round out the effects because if you were to go to your local 
drugstore right now. I don't know if they sell it in Boots, but they certainly sell it here in uh, Atos in the Netherlands and buy a Nicorette spray. It would be a very harsh effect with nicotine. Uh, the same is true with caffeine. If you ever have too much caffeine, uh, you can get the jitters, right? And so what the uh, hemp crystals do is they round off the effect and they extend it. And so blue canatine was our first product. It was a nootropic formulated by Dr. Ted, predominantly to deal with uh, traveling across time zones, experiencing jet lag, and having to perform right after getting off the plane. If you think about his lifestyle, he has a, a medical practice in D.C. and in um in the Philippines. And so getting off that plane, that's an almost, that's a 12 hour time shift and having to be able to perform, you need to be, have your verbal fluency. You need to have your memory working sharp. And so that's why he formulated that. I particularly like to use it for public speaking. Um, but uh, we have a second product called just blue, which is just methylene blue. And just to differentiate between the two of them, I use blue canatine when I need to do strategic creative thinking, when I need to do a lot of either parallel, parallel processing or uh, really thinking across and uh, synthesis work with thinking. So just drawing from influences of different directions. Just blue is what I like to call my tax nootropic or sort of my, my nootropic that works really well for uh, not mundane tasks, but repetitive tasks. So if I'm doing Excel modeling, uh, for instance, for a business, I'll use uh, JustBlue for that. I'll use uh, I'll use it for taxes, which it's coming up to tax season for me. So uh, I get the pleasures of doing that very soon. But again, these are two uh, nootropics that work almost hand in hand for different performance effects in brain. Uh, and the company is called Troscription. So your listeners can certainly uh, check it out. And if you want, we can give them a discount. We can throw it in the show notes. I've definitely got a lot of listeners who are athletes and sports people. Um, would this particular thing help those yeah. go be able to manage their workouts and be able Such, to? Yeah, this is funny. So, uh, you know, Matthew, you look like an athlete too. So uh, growing, or actually not that long ago, I was a, a pretty uh, active CrossFit athlete until I probably took it to the extreme back when I lived in Singapore. And what I still do a CrossFit workout on occasion. Uh, I also do quite a lot of competitive uh, lifting and do a number of different workouts. And so what I like blue canatine for, or just blue really, is the ability to pace myself in workouts. So if you think of a workout like Murph uh, in CrossFit, and Murph is you run one mile or 1600 meters, you do a hundred pull-ups, you do 200 push-ups, 300 squats, and then you run another mile. It's a long workout. It's not just sort of burn as fast as you can. You have to pace yourself. And what I find is, and with blue canatine, I can pace myself much more effectively than I can uh, without it in the sense that I don't flare out. I don't do too many squats at once and therefore can't run at the end, that kind of thing. And so it's much more of a, a smooth ride. It's much more of a, a bright focus in the sense that I, I'm locked in. I know what I need to do, but I'm very calm. And there's a lot of calmness in it so that I'm not just rampantly doing something uh, crazy. Now, what's interesting uh, about Just Blue is we had a gentleman that came that sends us this photo and 
like I can't deadlift 700 pounds, but he sent us this photo of him, uh, blue tongue and all, deadlifting 700 pounds. And he said it helped him stay focused. And if you think about powerlifting, a lot of it is wrestling with your nerves going up into that lift and just being very, very calm and focused and making sure that all of your mechanics are right. Because when you're starting to look at one rep maxes, if your mechanics are off, you may not hit that one rep max. And if you do, it may be bad for well, your mechanics and really your body. And so he uses it quite well for things like that. We've also got grandmothers that use it and it helps them with their memory. And that's a beautiful thing too. Yeah, well, a lot of things, as we alluded to earlier, really come down to your mental state at the time, even exercise, you know, lots of people relate exercise to, is your body able to do it? Well, is your mind able to do it is the first mm -hmm. thing I would say. So something like that, great, you know, and, and there's plenty of people out there at the moment saying, ooh, nootropics, you know, I mean, it's, it's not for me and all this, but then they go out there and they'll have a caffeine gel. Or they'll yeah. fuel the workouts with caffeine. Well, it's it's very you know something very very similar as that. So it is just, just building upon it. But uh, I thank you very much for your time today. I realise we've been talking for a long time. And if there's just one thing today that you could pick out and say to everybody listening, right, go away and and focus on that. I understand that there's plenty out there. But what's the main thing you really think you need to nail down and look at in your life? One thing you could focus on tomorrow that would help you to start to build your life optimal. Measure. Um, if you're not measuring, you don't know it. There's this phrase by Peter Drucker, um, which actually gets wrongly attributed to Peter Drucker as Lord Byron, who said it originally. It's what gets measured gets managed, right? And that phrase, you hear it all over the personal development world, and it directly applies to health. So if you are just getting started in this and you want to know how much food it takes for you to lose weight, measure. If you want to really start building your strength, measure. If you want to know what micronutrients you need in order and therefore what supplementation you need in order to be more energetic, more focused, measure. And so that would be the number one thing I would, I would say to people. That's great. And that leads into, um, I'll aim everybody your direction. Uh, tell us again where they can find you and where they can do these things. Sure. So everything about me is at Decoding Superhuman. So decodingsuperhuman.com, Instagram. If you want to look into why my tongue's blue, but also experience it for yourself, join the Trobellion, as we like to call them. Uh, you could head over to troscriptions.com and Matthew, I'll make sure you guys get a discount for that. If you're interested more in that uh, measurement aspect of things and diving a little bit deeper, uh, you can reach out to person, personally to me at Decoding Superhuman, or if you're a practitioner and interested in learning these things, you can go to homehope.org, which is the nonprofit that I dutifully serve here in Europe. Thank you very much. That's great. And thank you very much for your time today, Boomer. It's been awesome talking to you. Matthew, absolute pleasure. And thank you for all of the amazing questions. Cheers. A great talk with Boomer there. I'm pleased we highlighted how important aspects of lifestyle like sleep, exercise, meditation and mental health are. I talk a lot about optimising your nutrition, but if the rest of your life is stressful and non-productive, then 
your nutrition part of the puzzle won't be as good as it can be. So perhaps think of these other aspects, especially sleep, to really help in optimizing your whole lifestyle. Now, Boomer was great and he gave us an exclusive code to use on purehealthsupplements.com. And on there, you can get things from MCT oils to collagen powders to oral glutathione, as well as his troscriptions, the blue carnitine and the just blue that we talked about. Before I say about the blue carnitine, I just want to touch on the glutathione because I don't think I've mentioned this before yet on the podcast. And glutathione is made up of essential amino acids by the body. It's an antioxidant to bolster our immune system. And the amino acids that need to make glutathione are all in our nutrient-dense animal foods. So if our nutrition is sufficient in all of these amino acids, then our immune system will benefit from this glutathione protection. However, a supplement, especially a liposomal one, as is on the purehealthsupplements.com, liposomal just meaning that it is more bioavailable due to a liposome that carries it. A liposome is kind of like a, a microscopic cell casing. It makes it more it makes it more bioavailable and it gets it to the place where it needs to be. So a supplement will serve well as an immune system booster. When you feel fatigued or if you're slightly under the weather, then these supplements can help. So the code you can use on the website is HNL, all capital letters HNL10, HNL10. And that's for 10% off. It's exclusively for us, for the UK customers on purehealth-supplements.com. Now, this blue carnitine is new to me, and I'm just discovering the science behind it. I will be experimenting myself to see why it is becoming popular with high performance. Therefore, I will report back to you about this. However, I'm sure, just like caffeine and other nootropics, it is not something to take regularly and will have its own unique place in potentially that 5% of our overall daily nutrition and lifestyle, by no means replacing any of the 90% plus of the nutrient-dense foods and the protein-rich foods that we are thriving on every day. But go check out decodingsuperhuman.com for more great things from Boomer. Find us at humannutritionlifestyle.com for recipes and services that we offer. And follow along with us. We're on Instagram, Human Nutrition Lifestyle. And we have the Facebook group, Human Nutrition and Lifestyle. So come and join in. and Stay safe. Be happy. Enjoy your life. And I shall see you next time.